This is W T M. Watch this movie. What? <laughs> How you doing? Oh, good for you. Oh, wait. I drink it up. First, you gotta do the trouble shuffle. Obviously, you're not a golfer. Watch a few movies, take a few notes. W G M. Watch this movie. Welcome, everybody, to a brand new edition of WTM Watch This Movie. I am Mr. Positivity Wolfie T. You crazy if you think I'm going to walk up some dark alley with a loud orange hat on my head and a whistle. And you might be wondering, where is that usual voice that introduces the episode? Eric Mulder is uh, on hiatus currently. Um, As of this recording... His uh, newborn son has not been born yet, to my knowledge. But by the time you listen to this, he might be. So filling in in the meantime is our friend from the Midnight Movie Cowboys podcast, Stuart Balk. Good morning. Can I help you? John Holmes. Uh, Mr. Marengo asked me to come. What's up? <laughs> I'm being you for a second there. Right. So. <laughs> I didn't get hey. to say it this episode. No, no. So I thought, well, somebody's got to say it, so I might as well shoot my shot while I got the chance. That's but, um, good day, mate. Um, yeah, nice to be here. Nice to fill in the big shoes of Eric or your shoes, and uh, we'll we'll yeah, get through have some it. Fun. I hope so. We'll be but, right. Uh, yeah. So today we're going to do a, a recently seen episode. So we're each going to talk about three movies, and uh, in one of our previous episodes. I had challenged Stuart to watch the Fred Durst-directed, John Travolta-starring instant classic, The Fanatic. And so we'll, we'll be talking about that later in the episode. Yep. Anything else uh, you want to you wanna talk about before we, we get into it, Stu? Um, no, not a great deal. Just, uh, you know, usual banter. Nice freezing cold day here in Melbourne. Stone cold. But um, no, not much else, mate. We can uh, just tear into these films. That's fun. It's the opposite. It's been in the 90s here in the great state of Minnesota. Oh, yeah? That is the thing. I mean, I've always thought, you know what? If I was a single guy and I had a lot of money, I'd just be living in countries where it was summer all the time. So I live in America <laughs> for the, you know, the three, four months or three months of the summer there. Come back to Australia where it's summer in this period and in elsewhere. But uh didn't quite pan out that way, so you got to uh, take <laughs> take the uh, you know seasonal blows as they are as they come along. I shouldn't complain about the heat because it snows about six months out of the year here. Yeah, so. no, we don't get that. <laughs> Thank goodness we don't get that snow at all ever. It's nice when you're a kid, but when you have to start driving in it, or if you have to shovel, or you know things like that, that's a that's a problem. No thanks. You, you guys don't have that. That was <laughs> real funny. Just quickly, I was watching the news last night, and there was a thing that they said that Britain is going through a major heat wave, where the um, the, the structure can't take the heat they've got. As in, uh, railway lines are buckling, the tarmac is melting at Heathrow Airport. I thought, how bloody hot's it getting over there? I thought it must be hitting up near forty-eight, forty-nine degrees. That's Celsius, which I think is about. Uh, if I calculate correctly, about 120 Fahrenheit. Well, no, 
Not even close. <laughs> One place, Wales, got their hottest day ever, 37 degrees. I'm like, what are you kidding me? 37? <laughs> Our hottest day here ever I looked up was 48.8, which is about 119. So 37, Wales, grow some balls. I mean, that's nothing. Yeah, we I, wake up to those mornings in summer. I saw something that it was like 40 degrees equals 100, and that was what they're like, oh, it's up to that. I'm like... Okay, but yeah, I mean that's we get we get close to that pretty much every summer here for at least a week or two. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I don't know. Are I guess cold? they don't have they don't have air conditioning out there in England, which uh, <laughs> seems kind of backwards. To me. Like why why don't you have air conditioning? Like I just they do not used to this this weather. It's crazy. Um, Thirty seven. I had to laugh when I heard that. I thought that is lame. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, you know, get to these strange summers where it's brutal, where you'll wake up and it's already forty degrees at nine a.m. Yeah, come back and complain then. <laughs> United Kingdom, and no, I don't hate the UK. I'm actually bloody the son of a British immigrant, so no, I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> grow up here. It's not that bad. No, 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 no. But um, I just thought it was interesting when I saw that last night. Oh, heat wave. Uh, but then again, it is what it is, I guess. It's like here, when we hear about southern states in the U.S. getting a little bit of snow, they get like a half inch of snow, it shuts down the whole state, and we're just laughing at them here in Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which reminds me of my gaffe I made when I was talk- when we did the Die Hard 2 episode. When I said, oh, this must be set in Texas because they had a whole bunch of snow, I thought, oh, no. It doesn't make any sense, actually, down south, that, that sort of thing happening. But, uh, you know, my geography is terrible, even with my own country. Right. I have to look up places going, this is where? Oh, yeah, it's over there. Shit. I should have known <laughs> that. But, uh, yeah, that's about it. Anyways, enough about the weather. I'm sure we're uh, really exhilarating the audience with our weather talk it's just breaking the ice (laughs) pun intended that's all can't wait for global cooling season to come back (laughs) (laughs) can't wait for the um uh climate crisis to now become when it gets cold oh shit now it's the heat now it's getting cold it changes all the time but that's enough for them guys we don't want to deal with them no thanks We'll, uh, we'll talk about some films instead, huh? All right. Well, I got three new releases to talk about. What did you see, Clarice? What did you see? I don't even know what, th- what Stu's going to talk about today, so he's going to surprise me. So hopefully he hasn't uh, gone to the theater and uh, stolen one of my movies. But uh, hmm. I'll get to it first if he has. So you have. I haven't. Believe me, you're all right. <laughs> so first up for me... Uh, a 2022 movie called Where the Crawdads Sing. It's uh, directed by Olivia Newman, stars Daisy Edgar Jones, Taylor John Smith, Harris Dickinson, uh, David Stratham, uh, Michael Hyatt, Sterling Macer Jr., uh, Logan McRae, Bill Kelly. Uh, synopsis a woman who raised herself in the marshes of the deep south becomes a suspect in the murder of a man she was once involved with 
Stu, I gotta tell you, this is one of the dumbest movies I've ever seen. Just really stupid. Really? When you say crawl dads, I'm thinking, okay, crawl dads, crawl daddies, it's down south. It's something to do with that, obviously. Uh but um what a shame. Yeah, so it's it's set in North Carolina. It's apparently based on a beloved best-selling novel. So it's a bit of a chick flick. But um, All right. it's structured so weirdly. It, it starts with a, uh, a pair of boys finding a body in the marsh. And uh, it looks like it has fallen off an old abandoned tower. And uh, the guy died. And then uh, they, they kind of... Through circumstantial evidence, they they pin it on this marsh girl who's lived alone in the marsh, uh, away from civilization for basically her whole life. She was kind of abandoned by her family, and so mm. she gets arrested and put in jail. And for uh, what? For murder. She gets put in jail mm. for murder, <laughs> and uh, that's one of the problems I have. It's one of the dumbest murder trials in the history of movies. Because <laughs> I I don't claim to be a criminal justice expert. But I, I took a criminology class in high school, and I took a criminal justice class in college, and I got an A in eighth grade civics. So I, I have a feeling that no, even this movie is set in 1969, and I got to believe that even in 1969, no prosecutor would be dumb enough to bring this case to trial against a young white girl. <laughs> mm. <laughs> like, you're not going to win yeah. ever. No. So... So she's in jail and uh, this guy comes in and he says, I've, I've uh, appointed myself as your attorney, but I need to know you. So she tells him his ent- her entire life story. And it just goes on and on and on. And then after like a half an hour, they cut back and she's still in jail waiting for the trial. Oh boy. And then they go back to the backstory and then they, they go back to, and then finally the trial is going and then they kind of go back and forth and it takes like over an hour for them to introduce the character that died. I was just going to ask you, does it advance the story in that one hour at all? No, it's, no it goes, yeah. it goes back. So, so the murder happened or the, the death, it's not necessarily a murder, but they charge her for murder. Uh, it happened in 1969 and her story goes back to 1952. <laughs> She's like, oh, my dad right. beat us, and my, my mom left, and then all my siblings left, and oh, then my boy. dad left. Oh, boy. Okay. Yeah. And then I had a boyfriend, and then he left, and then I had this other boyfriend, and he was mean. And, and it's, so. so it's basically just a sob story for 60 minutes before we get anywhere into this story at all. Yeah, pretty much. Boy. And yeah. uh, so she's been shunned by society, and... Uh, it's oh it's so bad the dialogue the writing itself is bad like i said it's structured really poorly like they have these long flashbacks like way too long and then uh like the the performances all the actors are like caricatures like they all like seem like cartoon characters like it's just ridiculous how they they uh say their lines and act and stuff it's and how long is this film run for two hours and five minutes Okay, see, that's the case where a filmmaker said, oh, I'm going to have a two-hour film, but they're not editing it properly and saying... For some reason, some filmmakers seem to think that got to have a film that runs 144 minutes, which is, the I think, the allowed length they usually let for a cinematic running. 
unless you're somebody with a, a marquee name, they're allowed a bit longer. So the film's got to be this long. And it's all, there's, there's no sort of um, thought about, okay, if we trim five minutes here, we can tighten this up. It's just a case of the longer it means better, you know, right. the old adage, but it's not true. Um, so, yeah, that's what it sounds like this film suffers from, the case of it's got to be, a longer, a longer film means better. Well, no. No. Not necessarily. Well, and one thing that bugged me, like I said, obviously the whoever wrote this, and I don't know, I assume the book is probably the same way, really doesn't understand how the criminal justice system works. Because it's like, so the, the piece of evidence that they, they arrest her on is um, they found some red fibers on the dead dude's jacket. And when they go to the Marsh girl's house, they look in the window and they see a red knit cap, like a wool cap. That is and the lamest <laughs> excuse for an arrest. And, oh. and, and one cop says, we need a warrant. And the other cop says, no, we have probable cause. And I, I'm just thinking, a goddamn head is not probable, probable cause. No, no judge is going to allow that as evidence. Okay, so that one hat is that's, that's the, the only, only one evidence. made. That's yeah. the only physical evidence they have is they, they found a hat. And uh, and then, like, they show her her house after the cops uh, um, searched it. And it's just perfect. Everything's in its place. Nothing's disturbed. Just, like, what did they even look for? <laughs> no smell of bleach. No nothing. Uh, signs of blood trails anywhere. Nothing. And, and they have wow. no witnesses, no physical evidence. It's all hearsay. And uh, yeah, it was, it was just terrible. It was just one of the dumbest movies, like I said. Um, it's it's films like that where you sit there in the in the theater and you think, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> I know, why, right? why am I wasting my time on this? But I'm here now. Is it? Is this one of the films that would make you get up and walk out if you had that tendency to get up and walk out? See, I don't. I can't leave a film. I don't think I've ever done it. No, I'm I'm the same way. Um, yeah. This honestly, like, th- there's some entertainment value to it because it's despite the terrible writing and <laughs> the cartoony performances, like it still like looks professional. I guess you could say like, mm. you know, but it's not, it's not one that I would recommend going to. I, I wouldn't say it's a never on our sale on our scale, but it's definitely a WTM last resort. It's a last resort. You don't say after all that, <laughs> <laughs> anything about that would be like, what really? I, I guess if you're ignorant to, uh, you know, how the justice system works and you're more interested in like the, uh, the romance and stuff like that. You you might get something out of it, but I didn't. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, the films I've picked, and none of them are theatrical releases, so you're okay there. But uh, I am going to be globe tracking with the three films I picked. They are from three different countries, uh, and all over the place, as in times that they were released. So. First film that I watched was uh, one from 1983, a film I wanted to see for ages, and uh, finally managed to sit down 
and uh, set aside some time to watch it. And this is a uh, co-American, co-Filipino production, and it's a striker. You familiar with this one? Uh, I've not seen it. Um, okay. I mean, it sounds familiar, but it's got one of those generic names that. Uh... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. there's lots of movies called Striker. Oh yeah. Anyway, okay. Synopsis for this: uh, the world's water supply has dried up due to some sort of apocalypse. A beautiful woman holds a secret to where one of the last springs being guided by a group of Amazons. A road warrior. Light crew captures her and tries to make her talk through brutal torture. The hero, Striker, unites with some of the remaining good guys and the Amazons and frees the woman. They go onto a road warrior type of concluding battle with the bad guys. Okay, cast for this abhorrent knockoff of Mad Max 2 is... <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds familiar. Yeah, I'll get to that in a second. Okay, so Steve Sandor, uh, Andrea Savio, beautiful Andrea Savio, mind you. Uh, William Ostrander as Bandit. Uh, Steve Sandor as Striker. Andrea Savio as Dalla. Mike Lane as Cardis. Uh, Julie Gray as Lorenz. Monique Saint-Pierre as Cursey. Uh, John Harris as Oric. Uh, Ken, Ken Metcalf as Tron. And Joseph Zuguro as Basil. Okay. This film. Not only does it steal from Mad Max 2, or The Road Warrior, whatever you want to call it, wherever you are in the world. I call it Mad Max 2. That's what I've always known as over here. Not only does it steal the apocalyptic setting and theme, it steals the opening with... Uh, a motorbike being chased by a car that is exactly as Max's out in the desert or out in the out in the open terrain. It's it's astonishing. I've never seen a film <laughs> rip so much from one film, and obviously this is a co-Filipino production. It's cheap as hell. You've got Steve Sandor as striker who is. Um, Looks wise, the blueprint for Diamond Dallas Page. It could be his twin <laughs> brother. It's not funny. Uh, you know, you got a, a bevy of um, beautiful women in here. Uh, one, Julie Gray is the reason why I actually wanted to watch this to begin with. Because uh, Julie Gray, for those of you who don't know, made a few films, not many exploitation exploitation stuff predominantly. Uh, she did another one called Dr. Alien. But the reason why I watched this was because she was in, for those of you who know this, uh, the Ozzy Osbourne Shot in the Dark music video. She's the main girl, Julie. Um, Shot in the Dark's my favorite Ozzy song. Ultimate Sin is my favorite Ozzy album that it's from. So I thought, oh, cool, she's in this. I'd like to give it a watch and um, manage to find it. And... Um, yeah, man, it's it's a weird-ass movie. So basically, as I said, the water supply is dried up. You know, the real thing, weird, weird thing is that this rips off Mad Max 2. But when I thought about it, the water supply is dried up, where the hell does that story sound familiar? Well, Mad Max Fury Road has the water supply is dried up. <laughs> right. So did George Miller, who created Mad Max 2, watch Striker and go, 
interesting story, the water supply, and do it for Fury Road. I highly doubt George Miller even bothered with this piece of crap, but... I, I, it's, think, um, I think there's about a dozen other movies with that same premise that came probably, out yeah. around yeah. the same time. Yeah, you had to have something, because uh, with Mad Max 2, you obviously had the fuel was the uh, the precious juice, whereas this one is the water. Really no story to it, apart from what I read out. There's a lot of car chases. There is a very, very long rape scene, which we don't need, which was only there for the fact that you get to see uh, Andrea Savio naked, and uh, who was, funnily enough, a year after this film became Mrs. Tony Curtis. So I wonder if Tony <laughs> Curtis saw us and said, them boobies, I want them. That wife I've got now, see you later. Ooh! I love to jump on hot bones. Mm. <laughs> because uh, he basically, what I checked up, he basically divorced the wife he had and jumped in and married Andrea Savio. So, um, yeah, a lot of car chases, absolutely no story, um, horrible <laughs> dubbing, <laughs> the mouth moves and then words come out about half a second later, all the way through the film. Even the English-speaking actors are dubbed. So they're speaking in English, their mouth is saying English words, but the words are coming out in English, but delayed. Mm -hmm. So that makes no sense. There is a litany of Filipino midgets dressed as, I kid you not, Jawas from um, <laughs> Star Wars Episode Four, with the same clothing, the same, um, you know, those uh, gowns they wear, wherever they are. This film is 83 minutes and an absolute hot mess. Um, <laughs> Brett, there really is no story to it, man. It's just, I I don't know what I watched. I, I just can't elaborate anymore on it. All right. What would you uh, rate it? I will give this <laughs> um, a last resort. All right. That's a last resort. Like I said, it sounds like about a dozen other movies that came out around the same time. Yeah, but, uh, it's just, the, and the the weird thing is, um, this book that I'm looking at, if you guys can't see, World Gone Wild, Survivor's Guide to Post-Apocalyptic Movies, had to read through it, and um, yeah, every film seems to be the same. It's, uh, it's weird. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, the post-apocalyptic genre, not very good on ideas, not very, um, yeah, not very good at all. <laughs> not one I won't be delving into. There's only a couple, uh, like 99 of the Bronx Warriors. I really like that film a lot. So that's about it. All right. All right. Uh, let's go on to my next movie. Also from 2022, a movie called Gone in the Night. And it's directed by Eli Horowitz, starring Minnesota's own Winona Ryder. Oh, you betcha, yeah. Yeah. Got to claim all of them. <laughs> <laughs> John Gallagher Jr. God, this cast is in a stupid order. Dermot Mulroney. Owen Teague. Brianne Chu. TJU. I don't know how to say that. You ever have that? Word you can't get? That's the main cast. Uh, so <laughs> there's only like five characters so it's uh oh okay I, I mean there's a few other people that show up here and there but uh that's 
there's five main characters. Uh, synopsis when Kath and her boyfriend arrive at a remote cabin in the redwoods they find a mysterious younger couple already there her boyfriend disappears with the young woman and Kath becomes obsessed with finding an explanation <laughs> so it's a it's a bit of a thriller um, they try to do some things a little differently than than you might expect which I'll give them a little points for but it doesn't quite work out um so basically the the movie starts with winona Ryder and her doofus boyfriend driving to a cabin in the woods that they've rented for the weekend on airbnb and when they get there there's a dude in a raincoat who comes out of the cabin (laughs) and he's there with his his woke millennial girlfriend with her buzz cut haircut Uh, and so so anyways, they end up staying the night with this other couple. And when uh, Winona wakes up in the morning, everybody's gone. And uh, she wanders off into the woods and she finds the other, the other dude crying in the woods. And he says, uh, my girlfriend was hooking up with your boyfriend. And then they, they just left together. And so she goes home. And after a little bit, she doesn't even try to contact her boyfriend, mind you, through any of this. But she goes home and she it's starting to eat her away. Like, why did, why did he go with her? Why, what was so great about her? So she tries to find the other woman. <laughs> Gee, a woman in her late forties, early fifties, thinking like that. Well, <laughs> no, I would never have dreamt of it. And so she ropes in the owner of the cabin, the guy who put it on Airbnb, uh, to come help her find this woman that uh, had the reservation before them. Of course, she doesn't like look into any of the reservations or anything like that. And you could probably guess where that might end up going. But uh, at some point they start flashing back and kind of recapping how they got to the cabin in the first place. (laughs) And uh, and so did you sit there when you watch this and thought, not another film with flashbacks, really? (laughs) Well, it's, it's, I'll, I'll give this one a little credit. Like I said, it, it was a little more interesting, although it, it, it overall it doesn't work out because it, uh, like if you think about it just a little bit, it doesn't make any sense. Like the the things that any of the characters do, like it's mm. it's like one of those movies where it's like if you're if you're not thinking too hard, like you can kind of go along with it, and it's not that exciting and it's not that clever and it's not all that interesting, but it's. It, you know, it's okay. But if you put a little thought into it and it's like, why did they do that? Why did this happen? And it all falls apart. But uh, yeah. amazing. Do you think that, I mean, Winona Ryder, as you know, back in the late 80s, 90s, she was the it girl. Oh, sure. She was yeah. the go-to. She was She was it. She was the the tits, you know, not not, not to my herb, but to my, you know, in terms of, you know, general popularity. Do you think if Winona Ryder had been given this script back in 1991, she would have said, forget it. I'm not even looking at this crap. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, but this is an indication of how somebody's career could have fallen so much that they're now reduced to making this. And again, this got played theatrically, you said? Yeah. So that's in the theater. This, This is a Netflix film at best. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's strange. Well, Winona, but, she's like, she seems like a completely different person now. Like she's got those crazy eyes, you know, like the, the, <laughs> the bucket, you know, the eyes. <laughs> yeah. She's inherited the Sean Young eyes. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I don't know, like she doesn't seem all there mentally. Like, and I don't think it's acting. Cause I, I know she's shown up on award shows and stuff doing the same thing. But, mm. uh, so I don't know. I don't know if she's all there mentally still, but, uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, like her, the whole movie, her eyes are just bugging out the whole time, like everything. Oh, man. And it's, uh, I don't know, it's kind of depressing to see, you know, where she's at now. Um, yeah. Just in general. It's, uh, but, uh, it's just, uh, you know, probably never been the same since the shoplifting incident. <laughs> she's never recovered <laughs> from that. But yeah, yeah, boy, I'll tell you what, some some actors, okay, yes, you got to work. I, I get it. Okay. And, Hollywood's sort of devoid of any originality these days or has been for many, many years. But when you're doing films like this, from I don't know what you think of it, but from what it sounds like, you, th- you must be thinking to yourself, what am I doing this crap for? You know, I was in um, Heathers and I was in, you know, all these other films, Dracula, you know, for those who do like Dracula, I'm one of them, I do enjoy it. Um, and all the others as well, she was in at the time, but, to go around and do this one yeah yeah but she's not the only actor doing it doing uh films like this well i should mention there there's some bits of humor in this movie gone in the night which are not the funniest things in the world but you'd be hard-pressed to convince the guy in the theater who was belly laughing at every single one of them <laughs> <laughs> you'd be hard-pressed to convince him it wasn't that funny yeah, of, yeah. of course he also busted out at the uh the trailer for the new uh bj novak movie um i think it's called vengeance where it, it's about him going to like a small town in texas because one of his like one night stand or short-term girlfriends died and uh, her family thought that it was a serious thing and like he he decides to go do a podcast because they all think she got murdered. And and this guy was laughing at everything, just filling the whole theater. That reminds me, Brett, of when I went and watched Natural Born Killers in 94 or whatever it was. Um, I was seated uh, two seats away from a guy. He was on my right down near the, near the front row. And he was laughing at everything, even the, the murders on the screen and Oh, I got up and walked towards the back of the man. You are not a you are a loose screw. No thanks. I'll move. I got up and moved away from this guy. He was, ugh, he frightened the crap out of me. So That's yeah, right. I know exactly the sort of guy you're talking about, but only a. Also, also yeah. in this this movie, there was a group that sat through all the trailers. They were there before I even got there, and then about. Two minutes into the uh, opening credits, they realized they're in the wrong movie, and they they got up and left. <laughs> <laughs> you dumb bastard! They couldn't read the sign outside the theater that said "Gone in the Night." And thought, no, that, oh, that's the thing. They have screens outside of every theater, but they haven't used them in like three years. So, oh, really? So like, like if if you don't know how to read your ticket, or you throw your ticket away before you get in the theater, you're you're screwed. 
<laughs> oh boy. But like, the... like, I don't know how many movies I, I've been to the last few years where people walk in like an hour, hour and a half into the movie because they're in the wrong theater. And then they like making all this noise and looking at the screen and it's like, turn on the goddamn signs above the theater so people know what they're walking into. They have them turned on without L1. It's, you can't miss it unless you're a goddamn idiot and yeah. you go to theater right and it says gone in the night and your ticket says something else right yeah but yeah but uh yeah i don't know why they turned them off but it's been years since they've used them and i don't know if it's because they had people sneaking in you know like kids buying movies to or tickets to a pg movie and sneaking into a r movie Mm. and trying to stop that (laughs) why that happens i've never heard of such a thing like who cares yeah like, exactly like the only yeah. problem is they have uh, assigned seating so the only problem is if they they take somebody else's seat and won't move you know but yeah i've never been a fan of assigned seating i just think it's ridiculous unless it's a full house for something like top gun maverick then you, yes that's fair enough because if you paid to be row five from the front or whatever you should yeah. get that seat but when the the, the screening got three people in there for a theater <laughs> that holds 350 who cares let's let them sit where they want actually I'm i like sure it probably a bit more i like it. it because then i get the seat i want and i don't have to show up you know like i can wander in like five minutes late you know let me ask you something do you really really enjoy it when you go into a screening and there's no one and you think I'm the only one here? Yeah, I love it. I yeah. absolutely love it. I think, please God, I actually get angry when someone walks in. I think I'm like saying "f off, get out of here." <laughs> I don't care. The theater's empty. You can go where I don't want you in here. This is mine. Yeah, I want I, this whole theater myself. I've had that happen quite a few times since I started doing the the A list thing with AMC. Yeah, you, usually it's a, sh- a shitty movie and it's like not worth it, but. Uh... I think the last one that happened to me, it was uh, the movie Aileen. I don't know if you heard about that. It was, it's oh, the a, one about Wa- Warnos? No, no. It's, uh, uh-huh. it's a like fan fiction Celine Dion biopic, but they changed, <laughs> but they changed the names so they could like, you know, uh, change the story a little bit to make it, you know, however they wanted. But it's pretty much the the Celine Dion story, and it like romanticizes her relationship with that fat old bald headed manager of hers. Oh, the one she used to uh, get her career moving. The one, the one yeah, who right. became her manager at age twelve when he was like fifty. That's ah, yeah, that's Yeah, that guy. Yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah, there's a scene in there where. Uh, like she starts falling in love with him and one night they're on the road in the hotel and she calls him over to her room and uh, she's like, I want you to be my first. And he's like, well, if I have to, and he's got his old man PJs on and he's got his bald man <laughs> ponytail. <laughs> so no wonder she got an eating disorder this day. It looks like death. Oh my goodness. It was hilarious. I, I, I actually, I actually really liked well, I not really liked, but I enjoyed that movie. It was, it's, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Just real curious, this A list you you have is that a monthly thing or a yearly? It's uh, it's twenty two dollars a month. Uh, yes, yeah. plus, plus like two dollars tax, so it's like twenty four bucks total. 
and it's uh you get to go three movies a week and the week starts friday and ends thursday jesus that's not bad yeah it's a really good deal and then it works on like all the uh specialty screens too so like like they the best screen that they have around here is the dolby cinema and to go see a movie there on opening like thursday or friday or saturday night it was like 19 bucks plus 250 in, ta- in, in convenience fees. And I get to go for, con- for free. What's so convenience it's, fee? What the hell is that? Booking online. They charge you to book online. <laughs> get out of here. It's, it's just a bullshit thing. But, yeah. but, but basically, if I go see one of those movies, that covers me for the month. Everything else after that is free. So does this ticket get you or this um, membership get you every film you want to see? Or some films off limits, like uh, a Top Gun or some of the bigger premium films? No, the only ones that are off limits are like special events, like Fathom events, you know, one night only type of things. But all the all the like normal movies are included. Jeez, that's not bad. Wish they'd do it over here, but no. Yeah, it's a great deal. Hemorrhaging money. Yeah. But uh, So would you have... So, Big question is, would you have gone to see Rob Zombies the Monsters if it played theatrically, which is not anymore? Uh, yeah. <laughs> what a, why not? Well, because well, if it was a not? wide release. If it was a wide release, yeah. But if he did it like he did uh, Three from Hell, where it was a Fathom event, I don't know, because I would probably have to pay 15 or 18 bucks for it. Um, mm. But uh, I probably wouldn't for that much, but yeah, if it was included in the A-list, yeah, for sure. Why not? Might make it better. <laughs> <laughs> Might, I said. Oh, boy. All right. And Anyways, would you rate this one? Let me rate Gone in the Night as a WTM last resort. That's a last resort. Oh, last resort. Okay. All right. Uh, well, again, skipping around the globe, I'm going to now go to my next film, which is here. In my home country of Australia, and one that I've been wanting to see for many years, but it came, and it's from 2006, but it came in that period when home videos was just starting to die off. So they would get still DVD releases in, but not as many. Um, They were selling off more than what they're getting into the stores, and it did get a home video release but a very brief one, and it's now gone out of print. But it is on Netflix, or is on Netflix over here. I don't know about anywhere else in the world. And it's one called Footy Legends from 2006, like I said. Uh, synopsis on this one is pretty quick. An unemployed sports fan enters an amateur rugby league tournament where losing just isn't an option if he's to keep his, families together, keep his family together. Uh, this is a comedy slash tearjerker at the end but it's more of a comedy it's directed by a guy named uh, Quado um, written by Quado with his brother Ando and Suzando. Ando is a uh, Vietnamese Australian or he's an Australian but a Vietnamese immigrant who came here when he was three years old um, very very well known here uh, comedian, actor, author artist, he's a Jack of all trades. Um, and he wrote this, like I said, with his brother and his wife. 
And um, yep, getting into the cast, we've got Ando as Luke, Angus Sampson as Lloydie, Lisa Sagers as his as Anne, his younger sister, um, Claudia Carvan as Alison, the uh, uh, sort of oh, what's the term I'm looking for? It's like a CPS uh, child, sort of representative, yeah, sort of thing, yeah. Uh, who else we got? Like a caseworker. Case, yeah, caseworker sort of thing. Uh, we've got who else? These are all in. Oh God, these are all in order of appearance. But um, yeah, I've got also a bunch. I got Matthew Johns, the next rugby league player. Andrew Voss, uh, football commentator. A bunch of ex rugby league players like Cliff Lyons, uh, Rod Bouchard, etc. And um, yeah, it's basically about. Ando, his character of Luke, is looking after... He's the um, the caretaker of his younger sister, Anne, who is a girl who's struggling with learning at school. She's not going to school often. She's only she's there here and there. Uh, and their mother has died. The only living relative they've got is their grandfather, who's in an um, elderly home. He's got cholesterol problems, which is strange, considering he's as skinny as a rake, but whatever. <laughs> you know, for the sake of the story, we'll, uh, we'll roll with that. And uh, he's an unemployed guy. His sister has got a whole bunch of back-owing fees for the school and all that, and he needs to get a job. He goes to apply for jobs doesn't get them, then sees that there is a uh, Holden Cup, Holden being a um, make a vehicle here, uh, happening with the rugby league. And they can win a whole bunch of money, and that way he can win the money and pay back the back uh, back fees that he's got and get the hold on to his sister because the, uh, well, the CPS, I'll refer to it as, want to take her away out of his care and put her into another home because he can't provide for her being unemployed. So it's basically one of those early aughts films that Australia did so well, which was the little battler, the you know, the uh, the underdog sort of thing, which we do really well. We do those films well where you know, the underdog the underdog takes on the Goliath, basically. Mm-hmm. This one being the system. So yeah, he basically gathers together his friends from school. Uh, he's old. They're not in school anymore, but he gathers up his old schoolmates uh, for a team of seven to play rugby league and play games. Which, in all honesty, watching these games like I do with the sport, they were being wiped out in the first game. Now garbage against these <laughs> other players. But again, we'll keep the story moving by you know suspending disbelief and letting these guys win. And yeah, so it's just um, the the tale of this team coming up. And playing the game, winning games, also the struggle he's got. Uh, there's no real love story in there per se, which is good, which is refreshing. We didn't need that extra added on feature of the film. It's yeah, just basically the little Osley Battler story um, taking on the uh, the big man. And I won't give away the ending. You can pretty much work out how it how it ends, but. Um, Really enjoyed it. I've got to say, it was one that uh, of those films, they're real hit and miss. Uh, you know, Takeaway is another one that was done. This one was done in Sydney, mind you. Takeaway is another film that was done back in two thousand and four or five, I think. 
pretty much the same story, but with a fast food chain. Um, but that was done in Melbourne. This mm. one, so it was it was the those real you know David and Goliath stories that we did a lot of like that. But um, yeah, can I say really really enjoyed this one? I really like Arndo. He's a super talented guy. Um, very funny as well. This has got some very funny moments in it. And some moments that uh, you think eh, sort of juxtapose the comedy with this really, you know, sort of tugging at the heartstrings. Uh, it lays a bit thick on with that, but yeah, I mean, I, I really did not expect much from this. Like I said, when I was going through Netflix, I saw it on there. I thought, well, oh, yeah, if I want to see this movie, and there'll be one I can speak about on here, and I'm glad I did, and I'm gonna give it. A soonish. Soonish. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, that's uh, really it, uh, that's really good. Yeah. Yeah. I really didn't expect much out of it again, but the, the only problem with this film is it's going to be hard for people to find outside of Australia. But hey, if you're an Australian listening, you've got Netflix. It's definitely a soonish. All right. Finally, a good one on here. Yep. Fine. My next movie. IMDb says it's 2021, but it just came out in theaters this month. It's called Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Have you heard about this one, Stu? Boy, you really are stretching that membership, aren't you? <laughs> and I've never heard of any of these films you actually talked about tonight. So, But this well, one, no. Well, this one is uh, it's an A24 release. So, I mean, you know what uh, what that means. Quality every single time yeah actually this is probably the best a24 movie i've seen this year and uh okay. that's kind of surprising um it's directed by dean fleischer camp stars the voice of jenny slate uh dean fleischer camp it uh is uh, is dean um isabella rosalini also does a voice um Oh boy, she's still going. And then uh, let's see, Sher Sherry Finkelstein as a sixty minutes producer. Um, Leslie Stahl plays herself. Uh, Rosa Salazar and Thomas Mann. And the synopsis is feature adaptation of the animated short film interviewing a mollusk named Marcel. Apparently, it's based on a short oh, yeah. film. So, but uh, right. So basically, it's uh, the the premise is a guy has moved into an Airbnb as a temporary home until he can find a, a more permanent residence. And in this Airbnb home, there is a sentient shell, like a seashell with an eye glued on it and some shoes glued on it. And it just like lives a normal life in the house. And it's uh, it's also got its grandmother, which is also a shell. And uh, there used to be a bigger community, but uh, they were separated. So now it's just those two. And so he decides to make a documentary about Marcel the shell. And he puts it on YouTube and it becomes a big sensation. And uh, eventually 60 Minutes gets involved and... Uh, they, they try to help uh, reunite the, the community. 
and uh i hear you making noises over there too and uh believe me like, do, you, I, do you blame <laughs> me really it sounds I, like a david lynch wannabe filmmaker really stretching the hilt but yeah but it's it's a really uh like i didn't i didn't expect to like this it's really kind of a uplifting kind of cutesy quirky you know uh like uh, artsy fartsy type thing where you know it's a i don't know how to how to describe it like it's a a intentionally feel-good movie it's uh okay uh all positives from the uh it's a rarity huh that's a rarity these days yeah yeah so it's uh it was uh, definitely a uh a change of pace from some of the more grimy and dirty and you know, depressing movies that have come out recently. And it's not a Marvel movie either. So it's like, yeah. you know, it's it's different. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, it, you know, I thought I got going in, I thought, well, I don't know if I'm going to even like this because it's not, it's like too positive. It's too, you know, like that. And like this premise is ridiculous. And, uh, but like, the way they pull it off makes it work. Like it's, they take it seriously enough where like you're sucked into it and like, you believe, you know, this is little fucking shell is just living its life in the, in this house. And this guy's following it with a camera and they're, they're connecting and talking to each other. And well, you know what, if a filmmaker can pull that off with that sort of, um, you know, crazy idea, they got to be doing something right because, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it sounds really strange, but I mean, because it's strange doesn't mean it's going to be crap or bad. I mean, it's just something that's outside the box of what you'd usually expect. expect. So, yeah, I, yeah. Um, I'm going to seek it out. So it's, uh, yeah, and then it's, it, I mean, it deals with things like loss and loneliness and, you know, having a positive attitude about things and, you know, uh, it's really, really interesting. Like I was surprised how much I enjoyed it. There's some really genuinely funny parts in it. Like I laughed out loud probably a dozen times, at least in the theater watching this. Um, nice. Really well written, very well executed. And, uh, it's not quite on the soonish level, but uh, I'll say check out Marcel the Shell with Shoes on eventually. Eventually. All right. All right. So now, uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I challenge Stu to watch the 2019 masterpiece. Well, I'm being <laughs> real, uh... <laughs> I'm exaggerating a little bit. The, the 2019 film, The Fanatic. And. Uh, so uh, yes, we'll we'll talk about that here with uh, without spoilers, right. and then after we wrap up the show, we'll we'll get a little deeper into it and uh, talk about it with spoilers. So okay, uh, take it away, Stu. All right. So as you mentioned, I got challenged the fanatic, um, a film I had seen around on the shelves and thought when I saw this picture of John Travolta, yeah, no thanks. <laughs> Not with this uh, <laughs> bowl haircut and this uh, scragged look that he has. But anyway, synopsis for this film. A rabid film fan stalks his favorite action hero and destroys the star's life. 
that's as about as clear and concise as you can put it. Um, this is, <laughs> I don't know what the hell this film was when I started watching it. Um, first positive was I saw it and he goes, it's, it's 89 minutes. Okay, fine. We're not going to be dragged into the two hour realm. That's, that's okay. Right. Second, Fred Durst. Uh, okay. Who I will mention written and directed by Fred Durst and starring, uh, John Travolta as Moose, Moose, Devin Sawyer as Hunter Dunbar, Jacob Grodnick as Todd, Anna Golia as Leah, Moose's friend. And how this guy's even got friends is beyond me, but I'll get back in a minute. Uh, uh, who else have we got? Um, Mata, Mata Gonzalez Roden as the very, very <laughs> cruelly named Dora, the uh, Mexican housemaid. I'll get to that in a moment. Um, yeah, that's about it from the memory I've got here. That's the top cast. Um, yeah, basically... John Travolta is a, I wouldn't even say a rabid fan, I'd say mentally ill fan who chases down. His favorite actor is Hunter Dunbar. And he's an autograph autograph hound who is just obsessed with Hunter Dunbar, this actor. And manages to find out through his friend Leah that she has an app on her phone with addresses of the stars houses and he downloads this app and goes into or goes to hunter's property well first of all he goes to meet hunter dunbar at a signing in a uh what is it, a collectible store right yeah to yeah get his uh, rico jacket signed <laughs> <laughs> which uh uh as soon as he gets to the table after waiting his time in a line hunter's dragged away by his ex-wife out the back and that's it and yeah uh he then goes to his house confronts hunter it's just yeah it's basically just travolta who i gotta say was absolutely fantastic in this film i did not expect him to be this good yeah yeah Yeah. he really gives it all of himself to that character he does he does it and it's a really gutsy choice he could have said no this is not for me but um it was a gutsy choice taking this this part of moose on so it's basically the interactions of Moose getting closer and closer to the hunter until he gets very, very close, which we'll give later on. And um, yeah, that's basically about it. There's not much people in the cast of this film. So what did you what did you think of it? I enjoyed it. It was um, I yeah I, I enjoyed it. I it was one I had to sit down after I'd watch it and really get my head around and think. Like, I didn't hate it, didn't love it, but man, what did I just watch? This right. is, That was one messed up film. It was, um, and I'll give, actually what, I don't care much for Fred Durst. I don't care much for Limp Biscuit at all, but I'll give him props. He did a good job. Yeah. He did a good job as a filmmaker on this. But, um, yeah, I will give this a, an eventually. Eventually. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Eventually, it's uh, I I enjoy it. It's um, watching it again this time for the second time. I thought one of the interesting things that kind of sets this apart from similar like stalker movies is John Travolta's uh, 
mental condition. He appears to be autistic or something. It's it's not yeah. clear what he is, but he obviously yeah. doesn't have a firm grasp on reality. And I thought that made him a sympathetic character, despite being a you know stalkerish and becoming more and more um, cro- over was, the line in, in his yeah, relationship. He, if he you was a, call that. but uh, yeah, it was more of a cross between sort of uh, an obsessed fan and sort of Rain Man, you know, like that savant yeah, character that yeah. um, Dustin Hoffman was in Rain Man. So I, I found I found that really interesting that in most movies he'd automatically be the bad guy, right? Because he's the, mm. the the crazy fan, but he's he doesn't know any better. That's you know, like yeah, he actually thinks what he's doing is not illegal. He doesn't think it's illegal going into the yard of Hunter Dunbar, hanging outside his house, stalking him. He thinks he's just a fan. I just right. want this autograph and I'll leave you alone. But he doesn't, he's blurred the lines between the fandom and obsession. And, and, you know, just... and there's also, there's so many tales that that's happened over the years. You've got the Dominique Dunn story who was uh, killed by her, her stalker. Um, uh, what was that girl? Uh, Samantha, someone I think it was, her name was, who got murdered by... I'm drawing blanks on names, but there was uh, also singers out there. A female singer was murdered by a, a stalker. Oh, uh, fan. Selena? Are you thinking Selena? Selena's the one. That's the singer. Yeah. But uh, Selena was killed by the president of her fan club. Yeah. There you go. So, that's his... Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. But uh... so, but the lines, yeah, the lines really get blurred between in in Moose's mind of. But I just want the autograph. I'm not right. doing nothing wrong. I'm I'm here to protect you, but you're actually doing the op quite the opposite. You're infringing upon this man and his family's life, his child, his son's life. Yeah, where you're endangering it. But he and, thinks he's doing the opposite. And and no matter how much Hunter blows up on him, because he always reacts, you know, borderline violently. Uh, yeah, to, to anytime Moose shows up. Moose is like, you know, he's just being mean, uh, but, uh, you know, we're going to be friends. Like, the closer he gets, he's, he's like, the more he thinks they're friends. Because it's like, well, I, I got this far, so I know him, and, uh, you know, we're going to go hang out. And, like, yeah. he doesn't get it. And so no, I thought that was a really interesting twist on, you know, the yeah. typical stalker, uh, you know, storyline. It was, it was really, really well carried by Travolta. I think it was I think it was fantastic in this, um, and took a film that had no right being as good as it was, you know, to a new level. For sure. So yeah, really enjoyed it. And there's a there's a clip I posted it on the MMC Discord that I, and maybe you can uh, throw that on your soundboard for for your show. <laughs> <laughs> I think I will do that, uh, but I don't want to upset Hunter's wife. Um, yeah. <laughs> Not not a, a woman who's just had a newborn baby. So, oh. no. But I know, yeah. You just beat me like Hunter's wife. It's just... <laughs> I, I had a laugh at that, so... Yeah. Actually, going back to the old soundbite you used to have, was at the very start of the film, pretty much when he goes into the collectible store, he goes, can't talk too long, got to poo. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's a, that is a strange line to write as dialogue. I can't talk too long. 
I got to poo. And they don't follow it up with anything because he just hangs out at the, at he the hangs store out. for like five minutes and then he goes and drives. It's all right. Yeah. Vespa I still think, okay, you've just broadcast. Yeah. Well, you've just broadcasted. You got to go poo. But you hang around going, oh, can I have the jacket? I've only got 300 bucks. Well, if you need to go take a shit that bad, what are you haggling <laughs> for a jacket? It's been there all that time. It ain't going nowhere. Right. Not the price point that the guy's selling it for wants. So, yeah, I think it was just a line for comedy's sake just to get a ho-ho in the theatre. But it doesn't go anywhere. But there is more things that don't go anywhere, which we will get to shortly. All right. Well, let's uh, let's talk about uh, the next movie challenge. So um, coming right. up, uh, Hunt, or, uh, Stu and I are going to record a full episode on the movie Repo Man. Starring a young Emilio Estevez. And then uh, we're going to follow that up with another recently seen episode. And so Stu has a movie that he's going to challenge me to watch for that one. This is a challenge. And that is 1982's They Call Me Bruce. All right. So uh, I looked and that one is currently on like every ad supported streamer right now um so freebie to be what's the other one pluto tv so i will check that out and uh we encourage everybody else listening to check that out and then we'll uh talk about that on the next episode so i'm gonna try to remember all our plugs that eric usually does at the end of the episode here Let's see. You can check out our website at WTMWatchThisMovie.com. You can email at WatchThisMovie at Yahoo.com. You can follow our main Twitter uh, account, which is run by Eric, which is WatchThis underscore Movie. Or you can follow me at PositivelyWolf1. And you can also check out our merchandise at WTMWatchThisMovie.com dot creator dash spring dot com all right so good let's quality get... merch as well good quality stuff so i've heard uh Stu knows from personal experience he owns a wtm uh, uh t-shirt and he's... we'll be on the next recording tomorrow the mmc you'll see it very yeah. satisfied customer even though he didn't yes. pay for it there you go but <laughs> hey I'm, I'm giving i'm giving uh you know free reviews and shit i'm uh Hawking that stuff. Yeah, if if you're in America or Europe, uh, they will ship to you from Spring.com. Uh, Australia, I don't believe they have that set up. So unfortunately, Stu couldn't order one for himself. But uh, we encourage all our American and European listeners to check it out and uh, you know, that's right, get something if the, you feel the need. I'll be at the football on uh, Friday night, and everyone will be coming up going. I want that T-shirt. Why have you got one? I tried to order one. I couldn't get it. It's like, you just got to know the right people in the right places. That's all. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's all right. You can have my autograph because I've got this shirt, baby. That's all right. You can just slide up here next to me. I'll kick this guy off. You come sit with me. Nah. Um, yeah, good quality stuff. Get yourself one. Help the guys out. Go support them. All right. Yeah. Well, let's talk more about the Fanatic. Let's talk more indeed. Okay. So we've got the 
made the nod. Okay, I picked up a few nods in here, which I'm thinking may or may not have been placed in the film. Uh, first of all, when Travolta goes to that Hollywood party, um, he orders a milkshake. Pop yeah. fiction reference, maybe? Maybe. Um, it seemed really out of place, but then he, he did. Then he starts ordering milkshakes everywhere. That, that becomes his one of his main but I, character traits. I think that might have been, yeah, I think it might have been a bit of a nod by Durst going, man, I loved your Pulp Fiction when you ordered that $5 shake. I'm going to write you in one of strawberry milkshake for this one. But as much as I like this film, there's a lot of flaws, man. Um, first off is when he is at, when Moose, sorry, is at the collectible store waiting in line for his autograph from Hunter. Doesn't get the autograph. Goes out the back where Hunter Dunbar was talking to his wife when she was trying to go on a date. Was meant to mind the kid, etc. Brett, let me ask you a question. Do you think Moose is a very unique looking person? Yes. yes or no? Yes. Okay. So if you saw Moose, say someone, say Moose came up to you and said, Oh man, oh Wolfie, um, I really love WTM. It's my favorite podcast. Um, yeah, but and you were like to try and get away with him. Then he's outside your house a day or two later. Would you not recognize that face? Yeah, probably. Hunter Dunbar does not recognize this guy who is very unique looking. At least the haircut. I, thought, I think the haircut you would recognize. Of course, it's the well. Even Travolta's got a very strong facial structure. He's yes. a very strong jaw. I mean, always has, obviously, but. Uh, with the beard that he has in this and the hairline, as you mentioned, the, the haircut that he has, he's going to stick out. You're going to know that face. So for Hunter Dunbar not to recognize him when he's outside his house, I thought, are you kidding me? You don't pick this guy at all? That's That was weird. Um, Do you think that's I, just to show how uh, dismissive how dismissive he is of his fans that he, he can't even recognize this super recognizable guy. Uh, I mean, it's possible. Honestly, for a guy who's supposedly the biggest superstar in the world, I don't know if that's Moose's words because he's such a big super fan of Hunter Dunbar or if that was the case in that reality that they've painted in this film. Boy, ain't a lot of people lining up for his autograph in this small collectible store. He seems like a real sort of B-grade actor. Um, also, if he was the biggest film actor in the world, would he have a house in the suburbs? I don't think so. Yeah, I, I think Moose has built him up in his mind to be big, yeah, bigger than he that, actually is. That's um, what I was thinking. That that was sort of the... Uh, especially when he starts naming off his filmography. I forget all the names of the films, but they're definitely more like B-grade sci-fi. They, they sound like it, yeah. You know, like horror a, and action movies. Ghost Hunter or Ghost Alien or whatever it was called or some ghost title, yeah. I did like the one time, uh, I can't remember when it happened, is it, uh, but Moose starts going off on him and like, I don't even like half your movies, you know? (laughs) I I support you on all your movies, even the bad ones. Yeah, that's a child when they meet, uh, that's, let's, let's bring it around to wrestling for a second. That'd be like a kid who's say 11 or 12 years old and they go to the wrestling and they got their, their hand out to shake the hands of, uh, let's say, uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper at the time when he was around. And he just dismissed them like that. They're going to get their heart broken because Rowdy Roddy's their favorite. 
It's like, oh, I never liked you anyway. You sucked. Yeah. So that was the childlike quality that Moose had. That was his his mentality, his mental state. He's really no more developed than, say, a, an 11-year-old in this film. Right. Yeah, yeah. So when he does uh, reel off and say to Hunter Dumbo, I never liked half your films anyway, that is a reaction that he's having to being uh, dismissed by Dunbar. Because he loves all his films. He's even said, yeah. oh, I'm the biggest fan. But when you're, you know, that, that old term, never meet your heroes or, or never want to meet your heroes or something like that, whatever it is, um, that could be, the, that is the repercussion of meeting your hero. And, and as you mentioned before, when Hunter Dunbar is at the back of that collectible store and he goes, oh, how about, uh, you know, my fist meet your face. How about that for an autograph? Well, that sort of line. That should be in the red flag straight away. Say, well, F this guy. I'm not going to deal with him anymore. He's right. an a-hole. But Moose is not, he doesn't compute this sort of thing. It's like, oh, okay, okay. And then he goes back for the autograph. A uh, few more problems I had, or a few more nods I noticed. Uh, Dora, the Mexican housemate, horribly placed name. Uh, had to be a nod to the Explorer character, obviously, the cartoon character. Um, when Dunbar kisses her, was that a nod to Schwarzenegger and his Mexican housemate? I don't know. Possibly. How about when uh, Dora went out back and picked up the letter that Moose had dropped there? And uh, he jumps out of the bushes and says, don't read that. Don't read that. Yeah. And, uh, she starts hitting him with the, the duster or whatever. And he just... Yeah. Uh, he just palm strikes her in the nose and she cracks her head on the, the bird bath. That's what I was going to bring up. She's not mentioned ever again after that. Where's, there was no, hey, where's Dora? Where's the mate? She's lying dead in the front yard, man. I mean, you didn't see this body lying in there? Well, you were the inside the house this whole time? Well, it's the backyard. Um, oh, it's uh, the backyard? Yeah, it was the backyard. And the gardener found her. And that's why Hunter got arrested at the end because they think he killed Dora. Because she's been laying out yeah, there dead yeah. for a couple days and, and Hunter didn't do shit about it. Yeah, but that's the whole thing. I mean, you would ask where an employee is. If they haven't turned up the next day, okay, where is she? You try to ring her cell phone. You you try to contact her somehow. Well, he thought too yeah. that he offended her, you know, because she, uh, she rebuked his advances. And... Uh, you know, you could argue, well, he thought that she just stopped coming to work because of that, because she felt unsafe. But didn't it, didn't she say something about we shouldn't do this anymore? That so they've probably been yeah. lovers at one point? Well, they, at least once they, they must have hooked up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing that I did not like, I didn't think Fred does need to put in this film was... When Dunbar is riding in the car with his son, he goes, oh, how about a bit of Limp biscuit? <laughs> yeah, that was the shit back in my day. I thought, come on, Durst, you didn't need to do that. You didn't need to plug your band that a lot of people know about for the last 25 plus years. It's just, yeah. yeah. I, I like some of Limp Limpiscuit songs. They used to use it in wrestling a lot, so I think that's Undertaker. part of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, I didn't recognize the song that he used in this one. It, it, it wasn't one of their really big hits. 
No, I didn't know. I, I'm not much of a Limp Bizkit fan apart from the song The Undertaker had um, back in the late 90s or early 2000s, where it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, they just weren't my thing. But to, to uh, shoehorn your own band in there, I thought, oh, that's a bit too easy. I mean, obviously, he knew what he was doing. He was going to get a of reaction course. on that. Yeah, of course. It, it felt like to me that Durst was messing with the audience a lot. He was toying with the audience and just putting real nods in there. One thing, there was one part of the performance I really liked at Travolta's, apart from many aspects of it. It's when he's at that that Hollywood party and he goes up to that actress and you could just see he played so well the the nervousness of the fan just trying to talk to this actress. Right. Uh, and just say, oh, I, I really like your films. You should do more horror films. I thought to myself, I wonder how many times Travolta, who's been around since forever, has encountered that as the actor dealing with fans. And right. he drew upon that. It's just... Um, yeah, just really interesting. It's just, uh, but it was, it was so well played. And yeah. you got you got to wonder yourself when somebody is an actor or a musician or in the public eye is whatever, and they had that sort of person come up to them, while the fan is being genuinely trying to convey how much they enjoy their work and they like watching them in the films. You got to look at it from the other side and think, oh, is this guy? And he means well, but right. yeah, he's yeah, he's not uh, not the full ticket. So it's the um, it was really well done from both sides of the fan and the and the personality as well, mm-hmm. showing both sides. The I gotta admit the one sequence that was absolutely brilliant was when um, Moose gets into after he has knocked Dora punched door and she's knocked her head on the bird bath or whatever it was the fountain yeah and um basically died on the ground he goes oh it's just a bloody nose just put some <laughs> tissues <up. laughs> oh that's nosebleed that's bad that's bad. that's bad i had one of those and just, just put paper towel <laughs> and then he just like changes his focus like something else gets his attention He's like, oh the door's open and he yeah, just walks yes. in the house oh no lasers okay and but when he gets inside that house man that the tension inside there is really it's a really tense scene that is and it goes on for quite a while a good five minutes yeah. where he's under the son's bed and you think is he going to get caught because he's under there but then when he goes into the living room where um dunbar has fallen asleep by taking uh, uh sleeping pills i thought oh shit, he's gonna wake up yeah dunbar's gonna wake up because he's sitting there trying to take a photo with him and the phone drops in his lap and i thought oh no he's gonna wake up it was it was really well made that scene but then the real stretch was brett when he goes when uh moose falls asleep in a chair next to him and the alarm goes off off the oh no what the <laughs> fuck this guy's just lost it right he's just lost all control of reality because yeah. i mean all it's gonna take for his dumbbell to get up and go for a, a drink in the kitchen or go for a piss or and see moose there and he moose is a dead man basically but 
Yeah. I don't, I don't think Moose even cared if he woke up. He'd be like, yeah, it's cool. We're hanging out, watching TV together, watching the old movies. <laughs> yeah. Watching uh, Night uh, of the Living Dead. That was nice to see that. I really enjoyed as well Moose's street performance as <laughs> the British police the officer. British police officer. Pop Jack the Ripper! And that made me, that really made me laugh that bit. Yeah, that was a pisser. Bit. He's got the fake um, mustache on over his beard. <laughs> <laughs> the stick on mustache and the bobby outfit. I'm not really from London. People think I'm from London, but I'm not really from London. <laughs> He sounds nothing like a Brit. He sounds like an American trying to sound like a Brit. <laughs> oh man, oh, that was great. But um, yeah, he really was. I mean, he does. He does carry the film because a lot of the other actors. I mean, Dunbar was pretty much a one-note character. It was just basically an a-hole. Yeah, there wasn't much about him you could really like. And even when you see some of the footage of his films that he's made. You think this guy's an this guy ain't no Bruce Willis. This guy ain't no Charles Bronson. He's a exactly. He's a you know a Jory Travolta at best, or a Don Swayze, one of the uh, sort of subsidiary B movie actors. Yeah. Well, I, I was kind yeah. of looking through uh, Letterboxd, and a lot of people hate this movie. Like, I don't understand why people hate this movie so much because it's no, it's entertaining at the very least. And it it's, is. I think people dismiss it because of uh, Travolta's character being, you know, mentally challenged, and they think, oh, they're just making fun of him. And it's like, no, there's there's more to it than that. But yeah, but Wait, a lot what? of people made the same joke because Devin Sawa was uh, Stan from the Eminem Stan music video, so like, oh, it's just like Stan was Stan. <laughs> I was like, no, not really. No. I think I actually thought a lot of the um sort of dislike this film would have got would have been the fact that you hear Fred Durst. I mean, then when, oh, I, when you first told me it's a Fred Durst, I thought, oh no, really. I, I, I think a lot of people dismiss it for that too. And, yeah, and they don't give it a chance. And it's like, well, no. it's it's pretty well made. I mean, it's not it doesn't look amateurish. Like it looks no, like a professional film. It's well shot. It is really well shot. It's yeah. um it looks better than it, a lot of other movies that get that. I mean, it was produced by Redbox. So I mean hmm. uh, I don't know how many other Redbox movies are on this level as far as quality goes, but I, I would suspect it's not very many. And the fact that Travolta was behind it as well as what was it, a producer? I think I think so. Yeah. It um that helps. I mean, he's been out of the you know, out of the loop theatrically anyway for quite a while, but he's still got the name. John Travolta still has that name and that that clout. As much as his fellow Scientologist Tom Cruise, no. But, you know, he can still get the money in for a film to get made. And um Right. Yeah. I um I I will recommend this film, definitely. And you talk about filmmakers as well that they're musicians turned filmmakers Let's look at our friend Rob Zombie and see how good he is as a filmmaker. I'd say Fred Durst is more uh, more of a, a better filmmaker than the inept Rob Zombie. It's and like, I dare say Glenn, Glenn Danzig is uh, treading that fine line too. <laughs> I'm yet to see that um, Whorehouse, Devils, what the hell that film's called. I don't know. 
Hell Riders from the Horde. I don't know what it's called. Um, but boy, it seems to be buried because that trailer's been out a while and nobody's seen the film yet. Yeah, except for a solid few. I don't think I've seen anything from Glenn Danzig. Um, Rob Zombie, I do like his uh, his trilogy. Um, I've seen the first mm. Halloween he made, and I liked it at the time, but it's been a long time since I've seen it. But I've only seen like one or two of his other movies, and it wasn't good. Well, 31 was terrible. Lords Thir- of Salem 31's was terrible. one that I haven't seen. Lords of Salem was really bad. It was awful. But... Uh, 31's worse. 31 is way worse. It's horrible. Uh, oh, here, Death, uh, Death Rider in the House of Vampires is the Glenn Danzig film I'm talking about. But, um, yeah. Um, but compared to Rob Zombie stuff, I don't like Devil's Rejects. I think it's stupid. House of a Thousand Corpses is, is fine. I still enjoy it. I did enjoy Three from Hell back then. If I give it a rewatch, I don't know about now. Um, Halloween 2 was terrible Halloween 1 I didn't care for at all you know, I'm, I'm absolutely freaking tired of backstories as we're getting on the monsters um, the one that I've, I've sort of championed has been the uh, the haunted world of El Super Bisto the Actually, I remember, I remember watching that years ago and, and I did enjoy that yeah that's that shows that Zombie is actually a very funny guy which I will I will admit, when you listen to interviews with the guy, he's really funny. He's got a really you know, sharp comedic mind. But I don't know where the hell he goes with it. But um, anyway, I'm not going to go on another Rob Zombie rant. <laughs> I'm just giving him a comparison of someone who, while Zombie has done at least you know seven or eight movies, still hasn't found his feet, which he should have done in the 20 years. Whereas Fred Durst seems pretty accomplished as a filmmaker. Yeah. How much of it he really directed compared to, say, a ghost director? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe none at all. Maybe he directed the whole thing. Um, but yeah, he's he's got an eye. Fred Durst directed a ton of music videos for Limp Bizkit and for other bands. Right. So that's kind of where he got to start. Um, let's see. Looks like he had a movie called The Education of Charlie Banks. That he did in 2007 he directed the long shots in 2008 okay so and he's got he, a few under his belt yeah and then he went back to music videos for a while and then uh, the fanatic he, how did dr- the fanatic do financially did it play theatrically at all i don't think so i oh, I, no. I, I thought it went straight to amazon prime but i don't think it got a theatrical release okay not in the states anyways I didn't get one here at all. If it didn't get one in the States, it wasn't playing theatrically else, anywhere else in the world. Not these days. Yeah. Well, it looks like in the US, they had a premiere and then it went on DVD and Blu ray. Right. So it, it didn't get like a wide release at all. Hmm. But uh, people found it and uh, a lot of different podcasts I listened to took a shit on it. But uh, and even on these quote-unquote bad movie podcast they listen to from time to time like when they're describing yeah. this movie before i had seen it i thought well this is, sounds fucking fantastic <laughs> but, like this sounds fun like i don't understand why what you think is bad about any of the things that you're talking about because that sounds great 
Uh, it's the mob mentality. You know, let's all just take a shit on this film because everyone else is doing it. Like it's Fred Durst and late stage John Travolta. It's got to be bad, right? Like there's no way it could be good. But uh, yeah, I tell you what would have been interesting if you couldn't get John Travolta in this film. You know who would have been interesting to get would be Mickey Rourke with that fucked up face <laughs> as a super fan. But um, I don't think he could yeah. pull off autistic no. like travolta he could call, pull off a different kind of mental challenge but uh not no. autism no but uh, he'd just be one scary looking guy but um you know the sad thing is that there are people out there like moose and um and by sad i mean that there's no mental health program for them right because you know, no, nothing is really done about guys like Moose until a tragedy happens, a death or, or whatever. Right. So it's it's uh, until they start walking around carrying knives and carrying... But by the way, speaking of that, he was given that um, steel blade or whatever it was by that Leah. Was that who it was? Are you talking about the, uh, the prop knife that he stabbed him yeah. with at the end? Yeah, 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 that was it, yeah. I don't know if yeah. they showed where he got that. He probably bought it uh, as a, you know, maybe at the collectible store. Yeah. Because um, it, it, it was a prop knife. It retracted when he stabbed him, but he still he still drew blood with it, so. Okay, before we go, Brett, I think we ought to talk about the fact that Dunbar is tied up. All right. You're going to wake up when you're being tied the fuck up like that. It true. Even you take sleeping pills. Oh, you cannot have your yeah. arms pulled up like that and like that to a bedpost, and someone doing multiple knots around your arms without waking up at all. I've always had a problem with that sort of thing in films. Well, I, I don't know. I guess it depends on how many sleeping pills he was on. Because even if he kind of came to, like, do you think he would be with it enough to to do something about it? But he woke up straight away and knew that he was... He didn't have that appearance of being someone who was groggy and, and you know, slurring his words and and rocking back and forth from being right. in the... Well, a, if he was, um, if he was just asleep, state. yeah. Yeah, he probably would have woke up. Because that's a... It's a real... Time-consuming job to tie all four limbs to the to the bed. Shit, I'm in bed. The wife nudges me in the back to stop snoring. I jump up. So, I mean, when someone's <laughs> going to pull your arms out in like in a Jesus Christ pose, for lack of a better term, and time to a bed pose, you're going to know it. Yeah. Well, at least by like the second or third limb, you know, by the yeah. by the time you're, you're second or your second arm or the he's onto the legs or whatever, probably. Plus, you did it across the chest. So, mm. it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll give it to you. That one, that part's a little hard to believe, but uh, there's a yeah. lot of misgivings you have to give in this film. But you know. and we didn't really talk about that at the end, where uh, he's got him tied up, and uh, he's just like pretending like he's gonna kill him, and he's like, "Oh, I scared Hunter Dunbar. I'm so good. I'm so good. I'm such a good actor." You know, he's got the Jason mask on and. <laughs> And that he's was got, good. I really that was fun. He's got I the gas that. can and uh, 
He's like, Mr. Blonde, Mr. Blonde. Then he starts singing <laughs> stuck in the middle of you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was yeah, that was good. Um but the thing is as well that you had to uh that the that was when the actions of Dunbar kicked in as an actor where you had to talk him down, say, Oh, we'll right. be friends yeah. and I'll sign whatever you want and he knew that Moose was mentally incapable of comprehending that he was being played. Right. Exactly. By Dunbar. So, and that's obviously when he was untied, I knew what was coming next. He was going to smack the shit out of him. <laughs> well, he shot but, his hand off. Poor. And yeah, then he, uh, didn't see that coming. And then he kicked him down the stairs and then he, then he shot on either side of his head to blow his hearing out. Yeah. And then he ends up stabbing one of his eyes out, which was, yeah. uh, I thought he was, he was trying to blind and deafen him so that he couldn't watch movies anymore as a punishment for stalking him. Mm. But, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Moose, Moose finds his way out eventually. Um, and, uh, then the cops show up and it's because the gardener called the cops on Dunbar for killing Dora. <laughs> Yeah, because because I like you said like they don't even mention Dora. I was thinking at the end of like, didn't anybody ever find Dora? Like, yeah, exactly. I thought she's happened? she's basically disappeared. I you mean, she's dead. Sure she's dead. But but from the story and the and the storytelling, she's just gone. There's yeah. no more mention of it. But obviously, there's the payoff towards the end, um, with with Dunbar being arrested. But boy, it felt like. Los Angeles was a very quiet place because Moose was very easily found by Leah when she was driving around. She found Moose. She obviously, I don't know if he got the same haunts that he goes to or he works on the I same think street. So. Yeah. Has to be it. But um, yeah. They I don't know film... if you've ever been to Los Angeles. It's a busy ass place. Well, they, they filmed it in Alabama. So. Yeah. But you got to pretend it's Los Angeles, though. <laughs> That's true. So you can film it anywhere. It doesn't matter. You can film it in the Eastern Block, but you still got to pretend it's Los Angeles because that's your setting. Well, let's wrap up this episode. I think we talked enough about the fanatic. We both rated it in eventually. Um, so uh, go check it out. It's on Amazon Prime in the States, and I'm sure you could seek it out uh, if it's uh, if you're in a different country. But uh, yeah. until next time, we'll check you later. Check you later. Bye. Wait, man, why are you always such a dork, man? What are you talking Check about? Check you later. Check you later. <laughs> hey, man, you're off my case.